The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, a very warm welcome to Scorebox. One thing I can promise you today, it's going to be different and it's going to be lively. I'll show you why in a few moments' time. Uh, these are your headlines. Uh, the S&P 500 closes at its highest level since April 2022 as investors bet on a Fed rate hike pause at this week's meeting. But Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan issues a warning for the Fed. They could take a pause on that, and I think it, it, most people think they will. That's the, what the markets say. But they can't say I'm done because they don't know because they need the next set of data. So what happened to the reopening boost to the Chinese economy? Because I'm struggling, I've got to be honest, China's central bank cutting, cutting a key short-term policy rate for the first time in 10 months. Also, crude prices are looking to maybe try and recoup some losses after getting obliterated yesterday on the back of concerns over the Chinese economy. Intel is reportedly in talks to be an anchor investor in ARM's New York IPO, with a SoftBank-owned chip designer seeking to raise between $8 and $10 billion when it lists later this year. Oracle shares hit a record high and rise again in extended trade after the company tops on fourth quarter revenue estimates as the AI race pushes demand for its cloud offerings sky high. And the US FTC filing to block Microsoft's deal. Indeed, uh, this is a story we're going to be talking a lot about. Uh, this is the proposed $68.7 billion acquisition of Activision over fears it may withhold or degrade Activision's games on rival platforms as a July 18th deadline looms large. Yeah, there's a surprise. Not one Australian, but two Australians. And I think it's lovely, Mandy, that you can join us. Always a pleasure. But on the week where we start off uh, winning the Ashes once again, it's <laughs> lovely that you're in town ahead of the first test. I know that actually of all the Australians I know, there's only three who no, have no interest in sport whatsoever. Oriel Morrison, our lovely mm -hmm. former colleague, is one of them. And you two are the other two. Excuse me, did we win the Ashes? Uh, you, you, he's counting his chickens before they've hatched. <laughs> How are you? I'm very good. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely Welcome to back. see you as well, Karen. Nice to see you. Oh, nice surprise for me this morning. Yes. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, right, so there's so much going on. Uh, I want yep. to talk about China a little bit later on the show. We've also, actually, I've got a, a third treat as well. Not only um, you two as well, Claudia Pensotti, of mm -hmm. course, our, our colleague from Class is joining us to talk about the legacy of Silvio Berlusconi as well. So we've got some, um, some senior hacks in to talk about the big stories as well as well senior so hacks isn't that like sort of an oxymoron <laughs> like senior you know exudes authority yes, and wisdom yes, and a hack is to someone who just like shows up and i don't know mails it in do you think i think a hack is a is a, is a, a colloquialism for a, a, a reporter or a correspondent who's, who's kind of you know knows their beat done many years on fleet street yeah we're not far off fleet street i guess well, well, look, we've already used oxymorons in the first couple of minutes as well so do, do you want to talk a little bit about these markets yeah i'm just going to take you through some of the action yeah i i find them fascinating um always but at the moment especially because this pause and the tautology around the pause the market is looking for the most benign scenario and i'm not entirely sure they're going to find it karen 
Well, one of the positives is the broadening out of the rally that we've witnessed in the last week or so. And this was a big question. Is it truly a bull market rally that we're witnessing at this stage because it's such a narrow number of stocks that have participated in the gains? We've seen that rally 20-odd percent off the lows from October. But if you take a look at the charts we've got now, this is the highest level we're seeing on the S&P and also the Nasdaq effectively since April 2022. So the rally has been generous. It's been fast. It's been one that I think some participants have missed out on. Some have been on the sidelines not playing in this tech story. And if you take a look at the, the numbers that we had on the boards yesterday, you could see the Dow was positive. So again, to that story around breadth. But again, it was technology names that were out in front. And if we look at the FANG Plus stocks, up for about a tenth positive session out of 11. And in session yesterday, the gain of about 1.6%. Very similar, that correlation very evident with the NASDAQ. Just if we flip over those boards, you can see how strong the play has been in some of these names. And I might actually just start with Tesla because we have seen the longest winning streak in the company's history, still well off the highs, but the rally lifting uh, Tesla's boat to almost $250, so the gains just over 2%, but right across the board from Apple up 1.5% to gains in Amazon, 2.5% uh, in the green, and Meta, a rally of 2.3%. So the uh, tech sector still gaining at this stage and uh, perhaps dragging some participants uh, back into this market to treasuries. As we talk about whether this market has legs, the big focus this week is around the data and also around central banking. As we gear up for an announcement tomorrow, perhaps a skip or a pause, a hop or whatever the terminology is for this month when it comes to the central bank. We're watching that closely. We've got data out too around inflation and later on this week around retail numbers. At this point, we've come off some of the high ranges we've seen in recent sessions uh, above uh, 4.6 and we're perched about 4.55. Just a note of caution there in the bond market at this stage and at the longer end, we're at 3.72. I want to take you to the dollar and the trade around uh, the greenback this morning, as you can see, is slightly weaker. It's on the back foot versus a lot of the major pairs. Sterling, 125, 35, 34, roughly two tenths in the green versus a fairly decent bounce for euro this morning, closing the gap towards the 108 handle. That is a bounce of almost a third of a percent. Dollar drifting versus the Japanese yen. And you can see uh, the Chinese currency dollar is supported. But uh, speaking of which, which uh, there's been a huge focus on exactly what support we're getting from the PBOC at this stage and whether, even though we've had more monetary support, whether more fiscal is required at this point. And you can see the implications on the oil market as the PBOC has cut that reverse repo rate by 10 basis points to 1.9% from 2%. Uh, this and a bit as it tries to put a prop under the economy, uh, putting some more liquidity back into the system. And you can see the handle on WTI, 47.5, on Brent. To the Asian market, Markets, and this is the reaction, as you can see. The Chinese market is still cautious. Extra liquidity, extra moves from the central bank not doing anything to support this stock market at this stage. But where you are seeing gains again, that Japanese stock market, very strong gains, a fresh three-decade high on the Japanese stock market, Mandy. Oh, there's so much to talk about with the Japanese stock market, right? I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about the BOJ later on. But in the meantime, why don't we take a look at this story? Because billionaire investor Ray Dalio thinks that that we are at the beginning of a late big cycle debt crisis and as a result says that US government bonds are becoming increasingly more risky. The banking system's losses are largely due, including the central bank's losses, the Federal Reserve's losses, are largely due to holding bonds that are gone down in value, therefore lost money, and funding it with an interest rate that's too high. So that dynamic is, is very, very risky. Over the next couple of years, we're going to see that side, 
a supply-demand dy dynamic. And if that's, even if that's not a problem, you have the debt encroaching on the debt service. So it's unsustainable. Consumers are growing more optimistic that inflation has perhaps started to stall out and started to moderate according to a New York Federal Reserve survey which showed the lowest annual inflation outlook since May 2021. One-year inflation expectations edged slightly lower to 4.1% while median inflation expectations rose slightly with the three-year inflation outlook increasing 10 basis points to 3%, Steve. Oh, good, good to know in three years they still think it's only going to be 50% above the Fed uh, um, target rate of 2%. We don't know what's going to be happening in one week's time from now, let alone three years. I mean, it's a very yeah, difficult thing you, to... When you look at that and you extrapolate that compared with the Fed fund futures rate expectations yes. on the CME Fed watch, something just doesn't make sense. Anyway, the latest survey comes ahead of today's closely watched CPI reading. Expected to have cooled further in May. Fueling expectations, the Federal Reserve will likely pause rate hikes at its meeting this week. Speaking with our US colleagues, Bank of America's Brian Moynihan said the Fed can afford to pause now and assess the incoming data. The economy is slowing down. They're guiding it down. Will be a soft landing. Our economists think it'll be a recession, uh, but a, a mild recession. And unemployment moves up you know, in the mid fours. And that, but that used to be full employment, honestly. So it's not quite the disruptive thing. They could take a pause on that, and I think it, it, most people think they will. That's the, what the market's saying. But they can't say I'm done because they don't know, because they need the next set of data. Uh, another of the, the big CEOs, Goldman Sachs' boss, David Solomon, says he's not ruling out further hikes. We still could have an environment where we have slow, sluggish growth and inflation a little bit more sticky. So I think you've got to be a little bit cautious. That might not be a recession, but it certainly would feel like a recession if we had an environment with 0 to 1% growth and three and a half to four percent inflation. I'm not referring necessarily to this week, but I do think inflation is, is a little bit stickier. Um, and, you know, I do think that in the distribution of outcomes, there's a reasonable chance that rates do go higher. I'm not saying they're definitely going to go there, Sarah, but I think you've got to be prepared for that. Right. Let's get to uh, Tim Urbanovich, who is head of research and strategy at Innovator ETFs. Tim, um, let me get this right. So the, 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 the S&P trading pretty much at its highest level we've seen since April 2022. The Nasdaq trading at 14 months highs. You've got semiconductors 33 percent higher than they were a year ago. Software up 19 percent. Is the market guilty of looking at the most optimistic scenario in terms of the broad economy and just ignoring some of the nuance in the fundamentals? Well, there's certainly a lot of good news that is priced in right now, that's for sure. And, and there's really little wiggle room for bad news or bad data, both on the inflation front as well as on the economic side of things. You, know, you look at the market right now, trading almost right at around 20 times earnings. That's very rich. Um, this AI euphoria has really grabbed the market by storm. But we can't forget there's still a lot of headwinds out there. And we are not out of the woods with the Fed. And we are not out of the woods trying to figure out what type of landing we're going to actually have. What do you think is buying the market, Tim? I've heard a lot of um, mixed messages about what the retail investors are doing, what the institutions are doing as well. Who's driving this market to new levels on the back, as you say, of this most optimistic scenario? Well, really, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit of both, but but ultimately, when we're talking to investors, we're encouraging them to keep a risk-aware stance, not risk on, not risk off. There's a lot of headwinds out there. There's a lot of uncertainty, but really what's most important right now, and I think what's been proven over the last four months, is you need to have exposure to the equity market. If you, if you went in bonds back in October, 
you missed a very big rally. Um, so we're seeing a lot of investors continue to gravitate towards strategies like buffer ETFs that allow them to maintain exposure to the equity market with a downside buffer against losses over an outcome period. So investors really like that defined outcome approach right now with all the uncertainty that we're seeing out there in the market. Even though the market has done so well since its October 2022 low, I mean, when you really think about it, it's been driven so much by seven big name stocks, i.e. some of these mega cap tech names, the superstars. So some people are saying, you know, don't look at the headline numbers, you know, even though officially S&P is now in a bull market in inverted commas, actually, maybe it's just a bear market rally because of the narrowness of this rally. What do you think? Well, it's, it's very tough to tell. And if you look back historically at, at bear markets, these extended rallies are actually very, very common. Um, and really, ultimately, what's going to determine if this is a bear market rally or a new bull market is what type of landing we have. Uh, a hard landing scenario is going to be much different, obviously, than the soft landing scenario. Interestingly enough, though, you look historically, investors always get excited around the prospect of a Fed pause, a Fed cut. But ultimately, what's going to determine the direction of the market is what is the outcome here. Uh, and, you know, you look back historically taking rates from zero to five percent like we have right now, that typically doesn't come without consequences. So, again, we're being very cautious uh, and, and not just jumping to the conclusion that, hey, we're in a, the midst of a new bull market here. Is it very academic whether or not the Fed pauses or hikes or does whatever this week? Because at the end of the day, if it's committed to keeping its rates higher for longer, that in itself is kind of like a, a form of monetary tightening. And if you're, for example, a small and medium sized business and you're trying to get a loan and you're finding that you're being either rejected or your rate is over 10 percent, that feels like a hard landing. It becomes an academic, uh, you know, sort of almost philosophical kind of conversation, doesn't it? It, it does. And, and the reality of it is, whether we get one hike or, or two more hikes, whatever it is, the Fed is likely going to keep rates higher for longer. And we think investors really need to focus on how do we invest in this new world? We're not in the old regime where rates are at zero. We need to think about how do we invest in a world where interest rates are higher for longer? They're not just going to jump to cut to rate cuts too soon. That could come with a lot of consequences for inflation extending beyond what it needs to. Um, so again, how do we invest in a world where rates are higher for longer? Um, really what we're talking to clients about is figuring out ways to really reduce some of our bond exposure, get more equity exposure in the portfolio. Again, going back to some of those buffered strategies, um, strategies such as PJUN, which is a 15% buffer on the S&P 500 ETF, over a 12-month outcome period, historically, that strategy has about half the volatility of the S&P 500. So not exactly bond-like volatility, but a way for investors to be able to get more equity exposure in their portfolio without taking on the full risk of the equity market. And in this new regime where we need a new playbook, we think strategies like buffer ETFs are really a great way to do that. Tim, can we just explore the pause, the skip, the hop for a bit longer? Because even Brian Moynihan was saying the Fed can kick back, it can, it can take a pause at this stage. And what are we thinking about? What sort of data points do we need before we start moving off a pause? I mean, how long could this endure for markets, just having a period of uncertainty with no movement whatsoever? Well, we do think that you will see a pause uh, on Wednesday here. Uh, and really, the, the driving force behind that is if you look at monetary, Policy, the impact on the economy is always delayed. 
you know, based on our research, what we've seen, it takes anywhere from nine to 12 months for those rate hikes to actually be felt. Right now is really a good time to take a step back and assess what, what type of damage has already been dealt. If you think about where we were nine months ago, 12 months ago, you had the Fed funds rate that was at two and a half percent and one percent. So that's a big jump to where we're at now. That's a very big difference. We don't know what that 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 ultimately looks like, but we need to take a step back, figure out what type of damage has already been dealt, and also uh, you know what those rate hikes have already done to inflation up to this point. So ultimately, we we, we think you will see a pause. Uh, we'd like to see in the data uh, this morning a, a little bit more moderation in some of those non-housing services. But but we do still think, regardless, uh, you will see the Fed pause. Tim, I can certainly pick up an air of caution in the commentary. And you're not alone. There have been a lot of concerns about some of the negatives that are still out there for market participants. But that said, what about the good news? Because it feels like the market is not leaning into any of that. Uh, China today, we've had moves on monetary policy. There are still question marks as to whether there's more, whether there's fiscal stimulus coming at some point. What are the pauses that could carry this market forward? Well, I think the, the positives that you could see carrying it forward are the same ones that have really got us to this point, which is that the U.S. consumer remains very, very strong. Now, part of that has been a drawdown in, in savings. Um, so we'll see if that can continue. But but up to this point, we've had a consumer that has been on very firm footing. And if you look at uh, you know the labor market, it's still very strong. So if we continue to see you know, labor market on firm footing and inflation continuing to moderate, even at the slow pace that it is, Ultimately, that'll give us a better hope of, of a soft landing here uh, you know, and ultimately good news for the equity markets. Is uh, the target wrong at the Fed and is it wrong globally, in your opinion? I mean, do we need a bit more latitude in the Fed, in the uh, uh, the um, CPI rate expectations? Two percent is a figure that was decades ago plucked out of thin air uh, by economists and policymakers. Do they need a little bit more wiggle room in that? Well, regardless of what I think, I mean, I think Chair Powell has been very clear that they're not moving, uh, they're not budging off of that target. So until we hear anything different, that's ultimately what it's going to be. And 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 because of that, we do think it's going to take time. Uh, you know, you do have inflation that's ingrained in, in different pockets of this economy. So it's going to take time to get back down to that 2% target. But in the interim, you know, we, we don't see anything changing. Thank you so much for your commentary and for kicking off our show today. Very big week of central bank action. Tim, head of uh, research and strategy innovator ETFs. Well, moving on, we promised you China. Let's deliver. China's central bank has cut its short-term lending rate for the first time in 10 months as it looks to tackle stalling demand and waning investor sentiment. The PBOC reduced its seven-day reverse repo rate by 10 basis points to 1.9%, injecting 2 billion yuan through the short-term bond instrument. Well, this move raises expectations it could cut longer-term rates as well in coming weeks, pairing the UN back to a six-month low against the dollar. I mean, clearly the Chinese policymakers are trying to re-stimulate the economy after that initial sort of euphoric burst out of the COVID lockdowns and recovery, and now that recovery is stalling. It's just small moves though, isn't it? Uh, tiny just opening yeah. of the crack. It's not the old style Chinese stimulus when the economy goes into strife, let's just throw everything, including the kitchen sink of the economy and get some sort of bounce. That's not happened yet. And the, the question is whether there is any room for that to happen in future, given the amount of debt that's built up, local government vehicles in particular. Um, I think the market is still uh, just on the edge of its seat, wondering if it's going to get something from China um, now. I'll come back to this because I've got some quite strong views on what's going on in the commodity markets as well on, on the back of the, the failed 
reopening. It, it's just not happening, is it? Coming up on the show, former President Donald Trump returns to Florida for his day in court over allegations he mishandled classified documents. We'll have the full story next. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Leaders from the UK Financial Conduct Authority will go before the Treasury Select Committee next month over the regulator's handling of misconduct allegations against hedge fund manager Crispin Odie. An ongoing two-year probe into Odie asset management has been widened after the Financial Times reported 13 women alleged sexual harassment or assault against Odie in the past 25 years. JP Morgan has reached a settlement with the victims of disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein, agreeing to pay around $290 million. The settlement, which is reported to be more than 100 women, will not include an admission of liability from JP Morgan. Claims filed last year accused the bank of knowingly benefiting from Epstein's sex trafficking and ignoring red flags because he was a valuable client. Elsewhere, UBS has completed its takeover of rival Credit Suisse, creating a Swiss banking giant that will oversee $5 trillion, that's with a T, of assets. Together, the banks employ around 120,000 people worldwide, but the CEO, Sergio Amotti, has confirmed that around 10% of Credit Suisse staff left before the deal was closed. In an interview with CNBC, Amotti said he was not concerned around differences in company cultures. Amati told our U.S. colleagues that he expects former Credit Suisse employees will embrace the way that UBS operates. We need to make sure that we don't uh, uh, fall back into any uh, uh, bad habits or, or do things the wrong way. But I think that in that sense, we have very clear view on how to uh, manage the integration. We are introducing our processes, our operating model into Credit Suisse and uh, it's not meant to be discriminatory or or any or any other things than what it is. Uh, is we are just basically introducing our operating model. Uh, the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, has returned to Florida ahead of his scheduled court appearance today to face 37 federal counts against him. He's charged with mishandling over 100 classified documents discovered last year at his Mar-a-Lago resort. Um, Garrett Hake has the story. Former President Trump arriving tonight at the airport in Miami. President Trump! Later greeted by a crowd of supporters in South Florida ahead of his historic court hearing tomorrow. The former president now a federal criminal defendant, defiant in the face of a 37-count indictment. The ridiculous and baseless indictment of me by the Biden administration's weaponized Department of Injustice will go down as among the most horrific abuses of power in the history of our country. 
writing, Hard to believe that the leading candidate by far of the opposition party got indicted. This is strictly third world. And vowing, if elected, to appoint a, quote, real special prosecutor to investigate President Biden, an appointment he, as president, would not have the authority to make directly. Tonight, outside the courthouse in Miami, security preparations underway for the nation's most high-profile defendant, a special counsel alleging Mr. Trump mishandled classified documents and obstructed efforts to retrieve them, saying boxes of classified information were kept in Mar-a-Lago storage rooms, a ballroom, even a bathroom, and alleging at one point the former president suggested to lawyers hiding or destroying the documents. Elected Republicans largely rallying around Mr. Trump, even his presidential rivals, and blasting the Biden Justice Department. I think there needs to be one standard of justice in this country. You can't protect Democrats while targeting and hunting Republicans. President Joe Biden, that has a number of classified documents sitting in a garage, the idea of equal justice is not playing out here. But not Mr. Trump's former Attorney General Bill Barr, calling the charges serious. If even half of it is true, then he's toast, and it's very, very damning. And this tonight from former Trump U.N. ambassador and current GOP candidate Nikki Haley. If this indictment is true, if what it says is actually the case, President Trump was incredibly reckless with our national security. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.